Welcome to Counter Apologetics. Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be discussing atheism. I know not what you mean by God. I am without the idea of God. The word God is to me a sound conveying no clear or distinct affirmation. Charles Bradlaugh, 1877. An atheist or agnostic or a theological non-cognitivist is one who doesn't believe in God because they can't make any sense of the idea of God. Many of God's attributes are extremely vague, arguably to the point of being devoid of content. And when an attempt is made to specify what they mean, they often don't cohere. In order for one of God's attributes to be rational, it must be meaningful, internally consistent, and not contradict other attributes. That's not too much to ask, right? For simplicity's sake, I'll be using those terms I mentioned interchangeably. Agnostic, atheist, theological non-cognitivist, though some have made distinctions between them, it's always important to ask what one means when they apply the label agnostic, atheist, or theological non-cognitivist, since there would not appear to be any widely recognized standard usage of the terms. As far as I can tell, atheism and agnosticism are colloquial terms, and are not widely used in academia. I'm taking all three to refer to a family of positions that roughly hold God to be unintelligible. So if we're talking about theological non-cognitivism, let's first talk about non-cognitivism. If you think something is real, then you must also think it's meaningful and coherent. But if you think a concept is incoherent, meaningless, or otherwise unintelligible, then you're a non-cognitivist about that thing. If you're a moral non-cognitivist, for example, you think there are no moral facts. It's not that you think moral statements are false. You don't think moral statements even could be true or false. They're not truth-apt. Take a less controversial example. We're all non-cognitivists about squares that are round. If I say there's a two-dimensional thing that really exists that is both a square and a circle, you would reject my claim as a square-circle non-cognitivist. A square-circle is an incoherent concept. It only has two properties, and they contradict each other. You know what a square is, and you know what a circle is. They're mutually exclusive. But think about a unicorn. There's nothing incoherent about a unicorn. It's just a white horse with a horn sticking out of its head. Unicorns are perfectly coherent, they just happen to not be real. A square circle, on the other hand, can't be real. It isn't real because it's incoherent. There are many varieties of atheism, but they all make the same basic claim that God, his attributes, and perhaps even theological language in general, is unintelligible. That's why it's called theological non-cognitivism. If you're an atheist, you believe God is less like a unicorn and more like a square circle. Throughout, I'll be referring to two main ways in which one can be an atheist. The example of the square circle illustrates the first way, meaningful properties that don't cohere. I'll reserve incoherent for cases where God's attributes, or component parts of his attributes, contradict each other. You know what a square is, you know what a circle is, it's your knowledge of these two that allows you to spot the contradiction. So, incoherent, for our purposes, refers to a case where meaningful attributes don't cohere. 
And if there's a contradiction, that object exists in no possible worlds. We ran through several contradictions last episode. On to the second way. I'll reserve meaningless for attributes that are simply without content. Quote, "'Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the burrow groves, and the momraths outgrabe." End quote. Jabberwocky is a nonsense poem written by Lewis Carroll. There are several nonsense words throughout the poem, like wabe. What's a wabe? I don't know, and it doesn't help to say it's where slithy toves gyre and gimble. Consider the sentence, the number seven melts at five degrees Celsius. That sentence has proper grammar, and each individual word is meaningful. But taken together, the sentence as a whole is meaningless. So we have these meaningful words, unlike Jabberwocky, but when these meaningful terms are put in a different context, they become meaningless. So for our purposes, incoherent means there's a contradiction. Meaningless means there's no content. And I will use unintelligible as a more general, umbrella term to refer to traits that are meaningless or incoherent. That's not how everyone uses those words, so it's important to be clear about how you're using words like meaningless and incoherent, as well as atheist, agnostic, and theological non-cognitivist. Is Ichthyism self-defeating? The philosopher Graham Oppie has come out forcefully against Ichthyism, arguing that it's a self-defeating position. Quote, I think that it's impossible to take seriously the view that talk about gods is meaningless. Suppose you say, it is meaningless to say there are gods. Is what you say meaningful? It must be that in order for, it is meaningless to say there are gods, to be meaningful, there are gods is meaningful. But if there are gods is meaningful, then the proposition, it is meaningless to say there are gods, is false. So the claim that it is meaningless to say there are gods is self-defeating. If it is meaningful, then it is false. And if it isn't meaningful, then it can't be used to characterize your position. End quote. If Oppie's reasoning is sound, one could not be a non-cognitivist about anything, including objects that are clearly unintelligible. All non-cognitivism would be self-defeating, on Oppie's view. Just replace God with square circles, or the wabe from Jabberwocky. On this view, Lewis Carroll himself would be unable to claim the meaningless word he created was actually meaningless. So clearly something is wrong here. In order to reject the existence of wabes, or claim that wabists are mistaken, or even claim that wabe is a meaningless term, we must concede that it is not meaningless. Oppie's charge that atheism is self-defeating is subject to parody, and would lead to the absurd conclusion that one cannot be a non-cognitivist about anything, even things that are obviously meaningless or incoherent. Here's where I believe Oppie and many others go wrong. A proposition that contains a meaningless term is not necessarily a meaningless proposition, and the same goes for incoherence. It's not true that if God is meaningless, any proposition that contains the term God is also meaningless. I'm not sure if Oppie is using the word meaningless in the same way I'm using it. I think many conceptions of God are not just meaningless, 
but incoherent. And it's obviously false that a proposition containing an incoherent term is an unintelligible proposition. Square circles don't exist is an intelligible proposition, even though square circles are unintelligible. And the proposition is true. So there can be true propositions about things that are totally incoherent. Take moral noncognitivism. A moral noncognitivist believes that moral statements are not truth apt. They can't be true or false. But a moral noncognitivist implicitly accepts the proposition, moral statements are not truth apt, as true. They take propositions about moral statements to be true or false, even though they're moral noncognitivists. Why can't the same be true for atheists? Moral noncognitivists can also make interesting contributions to moral philosophy as noncognitivists, and I think the same can be true for atheists. Those properties that belong to God which can be ascribed some meaning seem to contradict other properties he has. They don't cohere. So when we're discussing God's attributes, we're often speaking in gibberish that has no meaning or content, and only appears to have some foggy meaning by provoking associations and feelings. And where there appears to be content to one of God's attributes, it's often in conflict with our observations, or in conflict with another one of his attributes, putting us back in square circle territory. And by God, I mean roughly the God of the Abrahamic monotheisms. I'm not talking about, for example, a pantheistic notion of God, which equates God and the universe. I'm not a pantheist, but I can't be a non-cognitivist about the pantheistic idea of God and claim to find it incoherent or lacking meaningful content. That's to say that not all notions of God are incoherent, but many conceptions of God are incoherent. Many of the more popular conceptions are incoherent. I don't say, as an atheist, there are no coherent conceptions of God. That would be an indefensibly strong claim. I can say, however, that there are many conceptions of God, including many of the more popular ones, that are incoherent. If there are intelligible conceptions of the Christian God, I haven't heard them, or I haven't recognized them as intelligible if I have heard them. All the versions of God that were ever live options for me would appear to be unintelligible. Some of the intelligible definitions of God I've heard are so far removed from what I regard as godlike that I wouldn't consider those beings gods if they existed. For example, if we were in a simulation, I wouldn't regard the simulators to be gods. God doesn't just mean intelligent designer or really powerful. So I'm not saying that every conception of God is unintelligible. And I'm also not claiming that every single attribute of the Christian God is meaningless or incoherent. Intelligent designer is meaningful. Some have argued that to call oneself an atheist, one must believe that all God talk is unintelligible, not just some of it. I think that's too stringent. If I think that a God can't exist because a few of his properties are inconsistent, then I think that should qualify me as an atheist. Just because I think some of the Abrahamic God's properties are meaningful or coherent doesn't mean I think the Abrahamic God is meaningful or coherent. If I postulate the existence of a square circle that's blue and coarse to the touch, I think we can still be non-cognitivists about that square circle, even though blue and coarse are perfectly meaningful properties. 
So I don't think that an atheist needs to believe that literally all God talk is unintelligible to take on the label. As I said, intelligent designer is a perfectly meaningful description. So is really, really powerful. But a really, really powerful intelligent designer isn't sufficiently godlike in my book. Unless that designer is omnipotent, omniscient, and disembodied, I wouldn't consider that being a god. And I happen to think that an all-powerful, all-knowing, disembodied mind is incoherent. So now we have to take a moment to wade into everyone's favorite issue. Is atheism a lack of belief or a positive disbelief? It's a disbelief. But here's how atheism fits into the negative-positive-atheism dichotomy. As I've been trying to illustrate with my running examples of waves and square circles, there are two main ways to be an atheist. The example of the square circle illustrates the first way, two meaningful properties that don't cohere, and the wave example is meaningless. It's simply without content. So if God's attributes don't cohere, that's the stronger form of atheism, and I don't think it's distinct from atheism. It translates to positive atheism, disbelief in God. If the claim is merely that God's attributes are meaningless, that's the weaker form. It translates to negative, lack of belief atheism, or lacktheism. I think we can take the labels of positive and negative atheism and apply them to atheism just as well. Negative and positive atheism. Negative atheism being the view that God is meaningless, Positive atheism being what I perceive to be the more widely subscribed atheist view, that God is incoherent. I seem to be in the minority here, but I don't think one must be a cognitivist about God to be an atheist. I think this means the tension between the atheist and the atheist is imaginary. One says there is no God, and the other says there is no God. It's true that one believes God is coherent, and the other doesn't. One is a cognitivist and the other is a non-cognitivist. But I think it's wrong to say that one must be a cognitivist to be an atheist, which seems to be the conventional wisdom. The usual reason for distinguishing atheists from atheists is that atheists must be cognitivists about God in order for statements about God to be true or false. But it can't be true that any proposition containing an unintelligible term is unintelligible. The proposition square circles don't exist is true. They don't exist, and that's because they're incoherent. With meaningless things, negative atheism, it's less clear. Here's a principle I'm proposing. Meaningless things do not exist. Maybe we shouldn't accept it, but it seems plausible enough. If I ask you the metaphysical question, does God exist, there are only two direct answers, yes or no. Responding to the question with, God is a meaningless term, is not a direct answer to the question. But if we accept the principle, meaningless things do not exist, then we've answered no to the question, does God exist? So whether the atheist thinks God is meaningless or incoherent, I think atheism should be considered a part of atheism, rather than distinct from atheism. Maybe you could reject my principle, that meaningless things don't exist, but I don't think anyone would deny that it has a prima facie plausibility to it. Incoherence, on the other hand, seems fairly open and shut to me. If a given notion of God is incoherent, that particular version of God exists in no possible worlds. With meaninglessness, it seems less clear. Supposing I said to you, I'm going to ask you a question. Supposing I said to everybody who's listening, 
So I, I, I want a one-word answer here, if you can. What's the difference between a duck? Now, the problem with that is, though, although that is phrased as a question, it is not a proper question. There's something wrong. Right? Grammatically, it is a question, but it's not actually a question. When you examine the semantics, there's no there there. This is just meaningless. This is a meaningless string of words that, that has the outward grammatical form of a question, but it is, in fact, doesn't, doesn't express any proposition at all. It has no propositional content. You, there's no way to answer that properly. Right? Consequently, if I said, well, so um, listen, the, the, the one answer that you could give to that is lemons. Okay. And I'm stealing this example from Alex Malpass, actually. Thank you, Alex, for this. Uh, supposing I said, what's the difference between a duck and someone said lemons? Okay. Oh, okay. So you're a lemonist on the question of what's the difference between a duck. Now, supposing you said, uh, I, I don't even understand that answer. That doesn't make sense. The question doesn't make sense. The answer can't make sense. Oh, so you're a non lemonist. And you go, well, I'm not a non-lemonist either. It's that doesn't make get sense. Get confused pretty quickly, right? <laughs> right. So this is how a theological non-cognitivist views the entire discourse of faith. It sounds like you are making statements about reality. It sounds like you're making, these are supposed to represent some state of affairs about reality. But in fact, when you examine God claims, right, Everything falls apart. It, 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 it either resolves into a pile of contradictions or meaningless gibberish. Okay? That's so let's bring the wave example into the real world. Imagine there's a camp of deeply committed wavists and a reaction of a-wavists. One group says there is a wave, the other says there is no wave. If you think wave is a meaningless term, you're clearly more on one side of the wavist-a-wavist dichotomy. They aren't equally silly positions even if we say Wabe is without content. The theist says, there is a God, I worship him and he's my best friend. The atheist says, there's no good evidence for God's existence. God probably doesn't exist. The atheist says, well, it seems like both of you are skirting over a slightly more fundamental issue, namely that no one knows what it is we're even talking about, but I'm basically in agreement with the atheist. God probably doesn't exist. So to recap, an atheist who claims God is incoherent is an atheist. An atheist who claims God is meaningless is at least a negative atheist, or a lactheist. But it's unclear to me if we can say more than that definitively. I'm more interested in atheism motivated by the incoherence of God, since it leads us to positive atheism, disbelief in God. Most atheists appear to subscribe to the incoherence variety of atheism, positive atheism, which I think is unambiguously a strain of atheism. But here's one potential difference between the atheist and the atheist. One thinks it's at least possible there's a God, the atheist, while the other thinks it's impossible because God is incoherent. But this distinction doesn't hold up either. I don't say there can be no intelligible concept of God. Rather, I say I'm unaware of an intelligible definition of God. I admit there could be an intelligible definition of God, just as the atheist admits there could be a God, or the theist admits there may not be a God. I don't see why an atheist should be committed to saying, I am certain there are no intelligible conceptions of God, any more than an atheist should be committed to saying, I am certain there are no gods. I can only be a non-cognitivist about specific notions of God, and I admit that the family of gods I'm restricting my arguments to are the notions that were once live options for me. I'm excluding pantheism and deism, for example. And I also don't lie awake at night wondering if Thor is real, 
even though Thor is probably safer from a non-cognitivist argument than the God of the New Testament. considered a square circle non-cognitivist, I think one only needs to recognize the incoherence of a round square. If you add that the object is blue and has a radius of 10 inches, that shouldn't disqualify one from being a square circle non-cognitivist. And the reason this matters is because some have argued that theological non-cognitivists are basically disqualified from philosophy of religion. How can you be a part of the theological conversation if you think theological language is unintelligible? Again, an ichthyist isn't one who claims that literally all god talk is meaningless or incoherent, just some of it. And I also don't think it'd be reasonable to say moral non-cognitivists should be disqualified from moral philosophy. In fact, they may have interesting contributions to offer, even for cognitivists. William Lane Craig has said of ichthyism, quote, Theists find that anti-theistic critiques of certain conceptions of God can actually be quite helpful in formulating a more adequate conception. Thus, far from undermining theism, the anti-theistic critiques of theism's coherence have served mainly to refine and strengthen theistic belief. End quote. So I want to come back to that take later, but consider some of the more outlandish charges that have been made against atheist arguments. Atheism is a conversation stopper. Atheists can't be a part of any conversation in philosophy of religion. Atheism is self-defeating, though other forms of non-cognitivism aren't for some reason. Atheist arguments don't apply to every single conception of God, as if any atheist arguments apply to every single conception of God. My own hunch is that the association of atheism and logical positivism bears some of the responsibility. Verificationism is widely considered to be discredited. Though the idea of atheism is older than verificationism, there's a historical connection and a strong association in the minds of many. And I personally suspect that this association of atheism and logical positivism has contributed to the generally dismissive attitude towards this genre of argument. So I want to take a minor detour to talk about logical positivism and its connection to atheism. The humanist rabbi Sherwin Wine coined the term agnosticism to describe his views about God. This is from the New York Times, 1965. Quote, A Detroit rabbi who asserted several months ago that he did not understand the meaning of the term God has received both understanding and criticism. Rabbi Wine asserted that, if religion is to be viable in the modern age, it must adapt its pursuit of the truth to the empirical method. He said that if we apply this criterion to the issue of the word God, we must then ask what empirical evidence exists to establish the truth of the statement, there is a God. He then held that if there is no empirical evidence that could possibly establish either the truth or the falsity of the statement, then the statement is meaningless. He termed himself an agnostic, explaining that an agnostic is one who says that the statement, there is a God, is meaningless by empirical criteria. End quote. By the way, the prefix ig means essentially the same thing as the prefix a. It just means not or without. It's the prefix in words like ignore, ignorance, ignoble. What Rabbi Wine seems to be alluding to is called the verifiability criterion of meaning which was the central thesis of a group called the Logical Positivists. Under strict verificationism, 
only propositions that were empirically verifiable could be taken as meaningful. The logical positivist A.J. Ayer argued that since the concept of God was unverifiable, we can't speak of the probability of God's existence. God exists is a meaningless proposition. It's not even improbable. Though Rabbi Wine's agnosticism seems to have been informed by logical positivism, the case for God's unintelligibility does not rest on logical positivism, which is rejected by nearly all philosophers these days. Even Ayer, when he was asked later in his life what he saw to be the main defects of verificationism, answered that, quote, nearly all of it was false, end quote. There were many attempts to modify the idea, but it's widely agreed that those attempts were unsuccessful. There are modern verificationists, but it's a controversial position to take. Philosopher Liam Bright is a logical positivist, and I've linked an interview with him on Embrace the Void if you're interested in hearing where verificationism is today. Verificationism would reject anything that couldn't be empirically confirmed or verified as meaningless. Many ideas in modern science were considered meaningless, at least on stricter forms of verificationism. Most logical positivists didn't even believe in atoms, though modern proponents like Bright do. Fortunately, to be atheists, we don't have to defend the verifiability criterion of meaning, like Rabbi Wine apparently did. Being a non-cognitivist about God goes back farther than logical positivism, and though the school of thought inspired its fair share of non-cognitivism about God, it's not the only way to be a non-cognitivist about God. And I bring this up to inoculate you against a predictable objection to atheism. Atheism has some roots in positivism, but you're not implicitly endorsing logical positivism if you say God is meaningless. So if an apologist or someone else were to accuse you of irrationally adhering to an outmoded idea, they would be wrong. There's no reason to put yourself in the position of defending logical positivism in order to defend atheism. Though if you happen to be a logical positivist, it's pretty easy to be an atheist. You don't have to be a logical positivist to say there are no square circles. And this one is the one that I would associate with atheism. This is sort of the atheist sub-branch of non-cognitivism. And it's this. When you hear two people talking about God, okay, they end up talking about God, and one of them's a Jew, and one of them's a Muslim, and one of them's a Christian, and one of them's a Mormon, and they start talking, and then you realize, wait a minute, you think God is a triune deity? You think God is all good and all-powerful? You don't think that. You think that God has a series of, of, of prophets, and Jesus was only one of the prophets, but he wasn't actually the same same being as God, and so forth. And then you realize, wait a minute, you're all talking about God. But what uh, you all really mean is the creator of the universe, whatever that means. And you might mean different things by creator, but the point is you're not talking about the same God. Obviously, you are all equivocating. So the atheist branch of non-cognitivism is that, is that view that looks around and says, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong here. You people, you all think you're talking about the same thing. But you're not. You're just engaged in a massive equivocation. And because you're all using the same jargon, you think that you're all talking about the same thing. But you're not. Every one of you, even those of you in the same religion, every one of you is in a parish of one. You are all alone. Some take atheism only to refer to the charge that all believers are in a parish of one. As I said, that's not how I'm opting to use the terms atheist, agnostic, 
and theological non-cognitivist, but I think it's relevant to our discussion that no two Christians seem to believe in the same exact God. There is a massive equivocation on a religion-wide scale. It goes mostly unnoticed because they're using the same words. God, Jesus, holy, omnipotent, etc. And I suppose saying this massive equivocation goes unnoticed isn't exactly correct. There's endless splintering and factioning. There are tens of thousands of denominations of Christianity, many of them mutually exclusive. It's hardly an exaggeration to say that no two Christians believe in precisely the same religion or God. However, this equivocation may not be a problem for God's existence. My sister and I wouldn't give identical descriptions of our Father, but that doesn't suggest his non-existence. On the other hand, if these differences became great and utterly irreconcilable, it would suggest that he doesn't exist, or that we're not describing the same person. How are we supposed to believe that you're all talking about the same person, let alone all in contact with the same person, if none of you can agree on basic questions about what he thinks and what he wants? If my sister said, Our father is extremely pro-LGBT, forbids the mention of Star Wars in his household, and regards Pinkerton as Weezer's greatest album, and I contradicted everything she said there, and asserted that in fact our father held none of those eminently reasonable positions, you would simply assume we were talking about different people, or that at least one of us was making a mistake. The massive theological disagreement that has been a part of Christianity from the very start is greater, and crucially, far more consequential. In fact, it's so much more consequential that it's perverse to draw analogies to other examples of massive disagreement. And it suggests to many atheists that religion is a merely human enterprise. many arguments for positive atheism in the course of this show, besides the problem of evil, the argument from biblical confusion, and the problem of divine hiddenness. Most of the arguments have been counter-apologetics, tearing down reasons for God and explaining why we don't actually need God to explain anything. But are there any good reasons to positively disbelieve in God? The problems of evil, divine hiddenness, and biblical confusion are three arguments for positive atheism, not merely lacking a belief in God, but claiming that there is no God. And this would be another argument for positive atheism. But unlike the others, this would be an a priori argument, an argument that makes use of reason alone, prior to any observation of the world. I've been sympathetic to atheism for the entirety of this podcast. I mentioned it back in the first bonus episode, my deconversion story, and I've bothered to make arguments that assume the intelligibility of God out of caution. I need something to fall back on if it turns out that it's just me who can't imagine an intelligible Christian God. So for the last 70-something episodes, I've just been rolling with the extremely vague notion of God that's mostly taken for granted. Of course, this family of non-cognitivist arguments would only pertain to God as we specifically define God, and unfortunately I don't think I can say that my definitions of God are the only acceptable ones. A theist could simply reject my definition of omnipotence, for example. The onus is on them to provide a new one that doesn't have more problems. Maybe I just can't think of a good definition of God. That doesn't mean there isn't one. But it doesn't change the fact that God, as we've defined him, could not possibly exist. 
pointing out that an argument doesn't apply to all possible definitions of God seems to me like an admission of defeat. That's true of any argument about God, whether it's for or against him. No argument applies to all conceivable definitions of God. So why should this be a reason to dismiss non-cognitivist arguments? The criticism of theological non-cognitivism I mentioned, maybe you just can't think of a good definition of God, is a criticism of all non-cognitivism. Maybe you just can't understand the meaning of what we're talking about, could be leveled at anyone who asserts the incoherence or meaninglessness of anything. It doesn't really engage the criticism being leveled. Moreover, it appeals to a radical skepticism that could be used to justify the existence of square circles or meaningless, contentless ideas. Maybe you just don't understand how colorless green ideas could sleep furiously. Let's take a step back for a moment. Why should it be this hard to define God? Why should it be so difficult to explain a being who created our minds and supposedly wants a personal relationship with us? Am I really supposed to believe that a theistic God who wants to be in relationship with me created my cognitive capacities for understanding such that they have a hard time understanding God? Am I allowed to ask why he felt the need to do this? I think theism, by its very nature, gives us reason to expect that it should be easy to understand that God is definitely not incoherent. Theism, by its very nature, gives us reason to expect that it shouldn't be this hard to be a theist. On Christianity, it would be surprising to find ourselves in a world where a serious question can be raised regarding God's intelligibility. I doubt that, on Christianity, it should be possible for someone to honestly contend that God is an unintelligible concept. You'd think that God, if he wanted a relationship with us, wouldn't create our minds in such a way that it would be so difficult to even describe what God is. God could have created our minds such that it would simply never occur to anyone to question whether he's an unintelligible concept. He could have created our minds such that we would never be bothered by the problem of evil. After all, if you're a Christian, you presumably believe that the problem of evil is only an apparent problem. God could have created our minds in such a way that we would immediately understand why evil is not really a problem. God made the universe intelligible to us. Why didn't he make the universe morally intelligible? Why didn't he make himself intelligible to us? So here's one way of making an argument from atheism. I consider this to be a sort of non-cognitivist divine hiddenness argument. God is hidden from my mind in a very fundamental way. I can't even make any sense of the idea of God. 1. If the Christian God exists, it would not be possible to, in good faith, doubt the very intelligibility of the Christian God. 2. We can, in good faith, doubt the intelligibility of the Christian God. 3. Therefore, the Christian God does not exist. Obviously, a Christian could reject that first premise, that it wouldn't be possible for an honest person to question the very intelligibility of the Christian God. Perhaps God has morally sufficient reasons for creating our minds such that we can honestly contend that God is an unintelligible concept. But I would really like to know why. Why on earth didn't God just wire our brains a little differently so that it wouldn't be possible to have a genuine conflict over whether or not he's a square circle or a slithy tove? He created us. It was his choice to make us this way and not the way I'm describing. You're really underestimating God if you think he couldn't have wired us in such a way 
that it would simply never occur to us to wonder if he was an intelligible idea. It doesn't occur to me to question the meaningfulness of a very long list of things. Why didn't God just put himself on that list? Again, am I allowed to ask why God felt the need to create minds that hallucinate a problem that's not really a problem, and one that may result in eternal conscious torment? All I'm assuming here is that God is the sort of entity that if he exists, would provide adequate evidence that he exists. Not doing so would seem strange for a God who wants a personal relationship with me and wants me to know him and wants me to evade hell. Hiding is irrational enough, but designing our minds in such a way that it's difficult to imagine what it is we're even supposed to believe in? The Christian story doesn't make any sense. What are God's morally sufficient reasons for designing our minds so that the concept of God seems incoherent? What makes you so sure there are such reasons? It's obviously not what we would expect, that much I hope we can agree on, but what could his reasons possibly be for doing so, for making himself unintelligible to us? Many have argued that if God existed, his existence would be obvious. There would be no such thing as a problem of divine hiddenness. I also believe that if God existed, it would be obvious. Theism by its very nature suggests that to me. All the more, I think if God existed, his coherence would also be obvious. At what point do you stop apologizing for God's irrational behavior and abandon this failed hypothesis? To quote Christopher Hitchens, to believe in a God is in one way to express a willingness to believe in anything. That's all I have for you today, and I'd like to thank my Hall of Fame patrons, Jesta, Phil Stillwell, Richard Crossan, Pre-Nifty, and Rory B. Murkowski. And you can support this show on a per-episode basis at patreon.com counter, where you can get early access to every episode and access to bonus episodes. If you don't have the money to support on Patreon, but you still want a guy or a gimbal in the web, you can follow our social media on Twitter and Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, leave a five-star review, or tell your friends about the podcast. You can also subscribe to and leave a review of our sister show, Walden Pod. Our theme music was written and performed by the band Whalers. The song is called Magic Tricks and was used with permission. Thank you for joining me today. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll talk to you next time.